Welcome, everybody, to Attorneys Are Human 2, episode 20, featuring Lori Berman, Florida State Senator. I'm your host, Steve Wallace. We're joined by our co-host, Selena Music. Let's get right to it. We have an extremely special guest today. We have Senator Lori Berman, and she is the senator in my area, which includes Boynton Beach, Lake Worth, and some other parts of Palm Beach County. It's truly a pleasure. Thank you so much, Senator Berman, for joining us. Thank you for having me this morning. And it's truly a pleasure. We've known each other for a long time. I remember that I met you uh, when you first were running for state representative. I think that, I believe, was 2008 or 2009 when I was the uh, club president of the Boca del Rey Democratic Club. And a mutual friend of ours, Andre Fladell, said, I have a great candidate that I want you to meet. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And I'm so happy for you that um, in 2016, you jumped to the senior chamber in the Florida legislature. And it's, again, truly a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I started running in 2009. So that's probably when we met. Yep. And I actually jumped to the chamber in 2018. But that's okay. okay. I'll take the extra. <laughs> that's all right. No problem. So uh, time flies when you're in when you're in quarantine. I, I never know what day of the week it is anymore or what number. But yeah, no. And I'm really happy to represent you because I really have, enjoy working with you. Senator Berman has also been a practicing Florida attorney for many years. So if you could just let us know where you grew up, as well as what made you decide to become an attorney. Sure. So I grew up in Plantation, Florida. My family moved to originally to Margate, Florida in 1958. And then we moved to Plantation and I went to Nova High School in Broward County. And I, I was always, I don't know why, but I was always that kid who was going to be an attorney from a young age. I decided, one of my parents' friends tells the story that at my bat mitzvah, he said to me, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be the first woman Supreme Court justice. So I got beat at that pretty early. Um, (laughs) So I moved on from that goal. But it was always something that I knew that I wanted to do. And it's funny because no one in my family is an attorney. It's not like I had a role model to look up to, but it was, I, maybe it was too much Perry Mason or something, but I, it was always what I wanted to do. Law school's tough. I think everybody knows that. It's a tough time period, but you just do your best. The Socratic method's a whole different way of learning that you'll be exposed to, but I'm sure it's a great means to an end because whatever you do in life, having that legal background and the way you now have to approach problems because you've learned it in law school, analyzing the issue and trying to find solutions will benefit you throughout life. You just got to grind it out for those three years. And once you get through it, the rewards are great. Good. (laughs) Exciting. It's exciting. It's a great career. What made you decide to go into politics? So that was also something that I was always interested in also when I was in high school. So first I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And then when I was in high school, a good friend of mine's father ran for Congress and we all got involved in the campaign. It was so fun. It was um, Bernie Friedman. Who's oh, yeah. an attorney with Becker Polikoff in, yeah. in Broward County. Bernie and I were really good friends in high school. And his father, who was a dentist, just said, I want to run for Congress. And he ran for the seat. And we all worked on the campaign. It was so fun. Even my parents got involved in the campaign. Um, he didn't win. 
but it was that was really the spark that got me involved. And then eventually Larry Smith ran for that seat and did win it. And Bernie Friedman became Larry's chief of staff. And when I went to law school in I went to law school in George Washington because I like politics. And when I went to law school, I would hang out with Bernie. And Bernie was also going to law school at American University, but he was a year behind me. And my brother had worked was working for Larry Smith's office on the Hill. So I always saw that part of the political scene when I was in law school. And it was always like, yeah, this is something I would be interested in and I would like to pursue. So it was always in the back of my mind that maybe I would run for office later on. And that's one thing I do want to talk about. And that's women, how things have changed a little bit. When at that time, unfortunately or fortunately, that's just the way it was, is my goal was first, I wanted to raise a family and I didn't feel like I could do both at the same time. Whereas I see all these young women now in the Florida legislature and they're doing both at the same time and it's great. And I think if men can do both at the same time, women should be able to do both at the same time too. Absolutely. 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 Do you feel that it's a little bit different running or being in politics as a woman as opposed to men? Yeah, it's still, there's still a lot of old boys club stuff that goes on in Tallahassee. We're up to about 28%, I think right now, even though we're 50% of the population. So it should be 50-50. We're not quite there, but the numbers are continuing to increase in the Florida legislature and and hopefully in in Washington, D.C. also. But there is a little bit of that old boys club stuff, but we're starting to see progress being made. The the not this year's Senate president, but the next Senate president is will be a woman, which will be really exciting. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And we have had a few Senate presidents. Gwen Margolis mm-hmm. um, was a Senate president. So there have been a few women Senate presidents, but we need more. And there has not yet been a Speaker of the House in the Florida legislature who is female. So we need a, we need more women. Hopefully we'll get there. Yes, yeah, let's hope so. So politics was always a passion of yours. So what steps or take or who pushed you to make the jump in in 2009 uh, for the for the state house district? So I then I, as I was continuing to raise my children and work, I worked for Congressman Robert Wexler. I had worked, I had volunteered on his campaign. I love doing campaigns and I volunteered. And after the campaign was over, another woman in the who had worked on the campaign and I I don't know who approached who they said do you guys want to split a job and because I I, at that time my kids were still young so I said sure so I went to work part-time for the congressman and then and then at some point I decided I was doing constituent services and I wasn't really using my law degree and I said "I, I need to make a change and at that time I actually considered running then and that was about 2000 it actually was around 2000 And I thought about running, but I made the decision at that time to wait. I did meet with some people and talk about it a little bit. And I made the decision to wait. And I actually, at that time, decided to go back to school. And I went to University of Miami and I got an LLM in estate planning. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So at that time, I decided, all right, rather than do politics, I'll go back, you know, full time into law. So I went back and got the LLM and I practiced for a couple of years and then my kids got older and I said, and I was still always interested in politics, but I hadn't really done much. And I, and I will give credit where credit is due. I was at a victory party for Obama in 2008 
And it was actually Ron Klein's victory party also. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Rader came up to me and he said, Lori, I think you should run to be a state rep and I'll help you. And unfortunately, they say women often need to be asked and have somebody um, say, push them to do it. And that was my impetus. He did ask me and push me. I I don't know if I'd really been thinking about it at, at that point in time. Since then, because men, no one has to push them to run. They wake up in the morning and they put on their pants. And we know people who say I'm running for president in, in those situations. But so I did. I started exploring it and, and I made the decision to run then. And I, I'm really happy I did. It was a great decision. And I'm so glad I've been involved. It's very fulfilling. You get to really be involved. And it's funny. I feel like uh, it's the Hamilton issue. I'm in the room where it happens. <laughs> So I get to be part of a lot of the decision making and and I get to help people. It's really rewarding to be able to know that you're, you know, changing people's lives. And um, I'm a true policy wonk, I guess, like a lot of lawyers, I don't mind reading statutes. And I don't mind, I don't mind doing my some of my own bill drafting. And for me, it's a perfect fit. That's great. Here's one thing I can definitely say for those listeners that are in our area. I want to give a big shout out to Lori and her office, the Constituent Services, and my very good friend, Abby Ross, who made this possible. We've been friends for many years, and I know she works very hard for all of the citizens in the area. I have great staff. Abby's been with me since I started. There was a brief time period where we... But she's amazing, and I owe so much to her. Constituent services are so important, and she works so hard. And now, since session ended, my staff has worked full-time around the clock on the unemployment issues because it's been such a disaster here in the state of Florida. Yeah, if you could elaborate a little bit on that as well. Sure, absolutely. Our unemployment system was set up in 2013. They hired Deloitte to do the system It never was the instructions that they gave to Deloitte basically were to make it hard for people to collect. That was like the the ultimate goal of the system. So even before COVID hit, only 11% of the people who filed for who were eligible for unemployment in the state were getting unemployment insurance. So then COVID hits and millions of people are logging into the system. The system just is inadequate. We had to start taking um, applications by mail, which was crazy. Yeah, it was so crazy. And to this day, they put in hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've had to hire call centers. And even with that, we have hundreds of thousands of people who have put in claims who still haven't even received anything. And we have many people who put in a claim, got a partial payment, and then never got another payment. It's a true disaster. And they know that. The governor has actually asked it. So the governor takes, it was done under Governor Scott, and he put some pressure on saying it was done under him, which he is certainly at fault. But there were three audits since it was done, including audit when the governor took over, which clearly said that there were problems in it. So the governor has has asked for an inspector general to look into what happened when the system was actually put in place. But I can tell you, we basically need to scrap it and just all the hundreds of thousands of dollars we put in. uh, It was $73 million, actually all the millions of dollars. It was 73 million when system was first put in place. And at this point we need to scrap it 
and move on because it, it has failed the people of the state. As many people know, it's they are in dire need and they're not getting the aid that they need from the state that they're entitled to because this is what unemployment insurance is supposed to cover a situation like this where people are out of work through no fault of their own. So Senator, I just have a follow-up question to that. So you initially said that basically about 11% of folks that apply are, are getting it. And so during COVID, has that even dropped further? And then I guess the follow-up to that is, what help or assistance have you given your constituents so they were able to qualify? Yeah, it, it's it, in the beginning when people were applying, it did drop lower. But now the numbers are higher, definitely. They're, they're doing a better job of getting more people covered. We are on the phone. We are sending, we are doing everything we can. We have a relationship with the, they actually just put in a new head of the Department of Employment, and he was a legislator with me. He oh, has you. been on the phone with all of us saying, what can we do to fix this? What do we need to do? And the person before him was someone from Palm Beach County, Jonathan Satter, and he's been trying. Mm -hmm. He inherited a huge mess. The person before him actually ended up resigning recently. I can't blame Jonathan Satter. He inherited a very bad system and he's done trying the best he can. But we are in. So if somebody needs help, call my office, 561-292-6014. And we do have a little better in and we can hopefully put you, get in touch with the office and have them call you and work with you because we don't have access to the system. I guess my next question would be, uh, you've been in Tallahassee for about 10 years now. Can you tell us what's changed since when you started in the state house to now? Yeah, so what I would say one of the biggest changes has been the budget, but I, how that will happen now remains to be seen. When I started, the budget was in the six, like $68 billion, and we just did our last budget at $92 billion. So we've got wow. up. A third, right, exactly. Money and coming from. <laughs> yeah, good question. Our population has grown. So there's been increased sales tax and property tax, property values continue to rise for the most part. So there's some increased property taxes. We do, we have one requirement in Tallahassee and that's to do a balanced budget. That's it. That's all we have to do. And we do that every year. We do have a balanced budget in the state. So I would say that's probably the biggest change is just we are continuing to grow the state of Florida, the number of people in the state, the amount of money that we spend in the budget. And as the number of people rises, we have higher health care costs, we have higher education costs. So everything increases. Now, I am not sure. We, they just did a joint legislative budget conference last week, and they said we're down about 2 $0.3 billion already from last year. So wow. I anticipate, yeah, yeah. So I anticipate we're going to take a pretty significant hit to the budget this coming year. That's billions and, with a B, everybody. <laughs> yeah, billions. So I'm hoping that we also not just cut everything because now more than ever, we need our social services, but I, that we look for some other sources of income. For instance, the internet sales tax. Florida is one of, I think, only two states that doesn't require that we connect, collect the internet sales tax. We actually have it on the books that we're supposed to collect it. We just don't do it. 
and that could be that will not that won't even be a billion dollars but it'll be like six seven eight hundred million so that would so we're getting work. close to we're adding to the we're, we're we're lessening the deficit exactly and i think there's other things we can do there's there's a lot of very big corporations have figured out how not to pay taxes in the state of florida and that's a pretty big loophole that we could close, which could lead to that. And then right now, these the Indian tribes are not paying any money to the state for their gambling revenue because um, oh, there was right. a little tiff back and forth. So it wouldn't be a bad idea if we resolved that with the with the Indian tribes and figured out how to get some money from revenue from their uh, gambling revenue. So that's another source of income that we could look at. And I think we're going to have to be creative this session. We're going to need to. Florida are providing some sort of relief because of COVID to these property owners that have deferred their mortgage payment or, or won't be able to pay or have lost their jobs and are still on the list waiting for their unemployment benefits. And even if they get that, it's probably not enough to pay their mortgage. We, we handle a lot of bankruptcies in our office. So similar to the constituent calls that you get after they call you then they call us so we probably get five or ten calls a day from homeowners that can't pay their mortgages another five or ten from tenants that can't pay their lease payments so it, it's pretty tough out there right now yeah I'm sure, wow that's a pretty big number that's just discouraging so a couple different things palm beach county does have some cares act money that they're using to help people pay their rent and their mortgage the application process was closed in the end of August, and I believe they had about 6,000 applicants, but they're hoping that if once they get through that group, they might reopen that in October. So that's something to keep in mind. Obviously, I'm sure there are people who are asking for forbearance from their lenders and their landlords, but it's a huge problem, and it's going to be a big problem. And I'm not sure about the issue about property taxes doing anything. Right now in the state of Florida, anytime you do anything that affects property taxes, it has to be a constitutional amendment. It has to go through because you're changing the amount that people owe. So I don't think that there, we don't have time now to do a constitutional amendment saying, okay, if somebody can prove that they're, they can't pay their property taxes because of COVID, they should get a break. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that's the only way at this point that we're going to do it. And interestingly, with that CARES Act money, they are paying the mortgagee or they are paying the landlord directly, which I think is great. If you prove you can't pay your mortgage you're, they're going to pay the mortgage for you, but it's not going to go to you. It's going to go to your mortgage company or your landlord to make sure that the money goes exactly where you said you said you're having the problem with. So we'll see how this all plays out, but it's going to be a really tough session. I am sure we are. I, I remember 2010 when, when I started, which was right at, around the Great Recession, and we were cutting everything and things were really cut to the bone. And I don't want to have to do that again. And that's why I'd like us to look for other sources of income so that we don't have to cut programs that are really crucial right now. Okay. Uh, my next question for you, Senator Berman, is when you first started in the legislature, was there a mentor or someone, some colleague uh, that you had that kind of helped you through the ropes? That's a good question. I would say our leader at the time in the legislature, who was Ron Saunders, who was from mm -hmm. um, the Key West area or the Keys area, 
he was great. He really, he took it upon himself to mentor all the new legislators. In my class of Democrats, especially, the Republicans had about 30 new legislators that year. And I think we had nine in the Democratic class. So we were pretty tiny. So it was easier for them. But because we were so outnumbered, we also didn't have a real chance to like sit back and watch. We were like thrown in there, like, you got to get up, you got to stand up on the floor, you got to talk, you got to be part of it because you can't, we didn't have enough numbers for somebody to just sit back and learn and watch the situation. So Ron Saunders really helped us get in there and, and, and learn how to stand up and speak and, and be part of the process. I would say he did a really good job of that. You're definitely a success story. You've been in the legislature for a while. Yeah. So along those lines, everybody comments that the Florida Senate is a lot more collegial than the Florida House. So my question is, who is your Republican bestie in the Senate? That's a good question. (laughs) Who's my Republican bestie in the Senate? That's a really good question. I don't know. My office was near Debbie Mayfield's and she was the the chair of a lot of the committees of some of the committees that I was on having to do with the environment. She was really, she was, yeah. And she was trying to, she actually got legislation passed that some of the environmental groups feel like it didn't go far enough, but I'm one of those people who believes don't let perfect be the enemy of good. So we got it through. So I would say Debbie was one of the people that I've worked with the most in the legislature Okay. My, my next question is that uh, you've been in the legislature a while. So what bill that you've passed is your pride and joy? What bill am I the most proud of? Okay. So the bill that I'm the most proud of, I have three. Okay. okay. Um, Perfect. Yeah. We'll want to hear all three of them. Okay. So the first one was that we added to state law to say that you can't discriminate against pregnant women in the workplace. So that was really exciting. We already have federal law on that issue, but that made it a lot harder for people to bring claims. Now that we have it under state law, it's real clear, do not discriminate against pregnant women in the workplace. So that was really a, a really good, positive bill. The other bill that I liked was one of my local bills. And it was just to change some requirements so that we could build the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And I love that we were able to have, to build the ballpark. It's there, it's successful, it's working. We'll see if what happens when spring training hopefully resumes after COVID. It's actually Um, funny because I went, my best friend's father is a big Houston Astros fan. And we went to the game the Monday before everything was shut down. So we got to take, we were one of the last people to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I really like it. And what I really like about it is um, partly why I ran is because I want to diversify our economy here in South Florida and then the whole state. And I want my children to be able to have jobs, good paying jobs. And I thought the ballpark was a really great way for us to diversify, to become a spring training hub since we have the other facility in Jupiter. And I'm really glad that I was able to be a part, a a tiny part of promoting the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And then the bill that I am probably the most proud of is one that I don't get specific credit for, but I will take credit for it. And it's kind of, it's disturbing. Before Parkland happened, I've always filed various gun control legislation. And I do, every year I did a different one because they would never get any hearings. The, The Republican legislature would never hear anything having to do with any kind of gun safety. 
So one year I did magazines, one year I did you can't take a gun into a daycare center, one year I did you can't take a gun into a hospital. And the year of all common sense, all common sense bills that still aren't passed. Right. (laughs) All gun safety. Exactly. But the year of part that Parkland happened, I've been involved with some of the gun with the groups that promote gun safety. And so I know what kind of legislation is out there. And the year that Parkland happened, I filed a bill, which we called a risk protection order. And that bill said that a law enforcement personnel or a family member could go to court and ask for a gun to be removed from someone that they felt was a danger to themselves or to others. So needless to say, my bill was not moving at all, was not getting any action, was another common sense gun prevention, gun violence prevention bill. And Parkland happened. And the governor went through and recommended that we pass my legislation. I actually had another bill, too, about guns and domestic violence that he included on his list. But that one got uh, shot down, not literally, but by the uh, legislature. But my risk protection order bill actually passed in the Florida legislature. They changed it. They would not include family members, which even this year I refiled it trying to include family members. I still think that's a good idea, but so far we haven't been real successful. We did get a hearing on that issue, but we didn't get it over the finish line at all. And I'm really excited. I I think it's amazing. So since that bill has been passed, which was right after Parkland, so now we're coming up, I guess, two years, thousands of times it has been used The law law enforcement love it because up until now, they didn't have a way to get guns away from people who were a danger to themselves or to others. And this gives them the tool to take the guns away from people that they're worried about. And it's really worked out fantastic in the state. Most of the time when law enforcement files, they prevail because they're not, they're doing it because they're worried and the, and the judge listens to the case. It's a full blown hearing and everything you can do. You do an ex parte motion first. Um, and then you have within, I think 10 or 14 days, you have to do a, a full, an actual hearing and decide if the guns should be removed. So I'm really proud of that legislation, even though it doesn't have my name on it. I know that I was the one who sponsored it and that it was, because of that, I think because the legislation was just sitting out there when the governor started panicking after Parkland and looking, what are we going to do? And that piece of legislation was there and he made that recommendation. Very happy about that. That's excellent. So for those of our listeners that don't know, you do have an election in November. So could you tell our, our listeners why they should vote for you for another term in the Senate? Thank you. Yeah, so I really want to continue what I'm doing. And I think that given the environment that we're in right now with COVID, where we're seeing the economic collapse here in the state of Florida, and also the problems we're seeing with racial injustice here in the state, which I've been working on also, I'm in the position to get right to work on these issues again, to continue to be an advocate. Like you said, I've worked very hard for my constituents, and we're still going to continue to do that. And I think that Given my experience and my institutional knowledge, I'm the best person to be able to continue in this position. I want to know, yes, we're having a lot of racial, I, I want to go into more detail on, on what, what you mean by that and, and what does that mean when it comes to law enforcement? Because we've seen 
so much unrest and even call for defunding the police. What are your views? And can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure, absolutely. So right after everything happened with George Floyd, Melissa McKinley and I were talking and she said, we should arrange a panel. So we did. And she said, Commissioner McKinley, myself and Congresswoman Lois Frankel, we convened a panel. We had people from all different walks of life on the panel. And then we agreed that we would keep the panel going. I'm going to be working with my colleagues and bring legislation to improve African-American history in our schools. Last year, we improved Holocaust history. And we need to do the same for African-American history because we're finding that these areas are falling very far short of where they were originally discussed when we put these items in the curriculum. So we are working. Back to the issue of defunding police. I'm not a supporter of the defund police movement. I am a big public safety advocate. But what I do support and what I do want to see happen is take away some of the things from the police that they should never have been given in the first place. Like right now, our jails are our number one mental health provider. That's a disgrace. I just don't understand why, why we, we need to do more divert, mental health diversion and we need to keep that away. And then a lot of the work that our police officers are doing is equivalent to social workers kind of jobs. And if we can take that away from them and give that to social workers and let them do the real crime issues, that would help things. And then I am, I do think the criminal justice system needs significant reform. We need to change some of the mandatory minimum sentencing. We need to really look at that as a holistic idea also. So that's pretty much where I am. But um, I will say that the George Floyd killing murder has really raised my consciousness, my awareness. I've been reading books. I read a lot of the Abraham Kendi's books, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I'm really devoting myself to, to being aware of the issues and trying to see what we can do to address them. Very happy to hear that. I, I also want to know a little bit more about because I find that it's very taboo to discuss uh, mental health and even in the police department, even in our school systems. Right. And we had a guest on before. She was a, a legal advisor to the city of Plantation Police. And so she has a whole, we, we, had, we already have addressed this, but we're curious to hear. Yeah, no, mental health has always been high on my priorities. Years ago, even I did a bill for mental health first aid, which is a program like CPR, like they, that is going on that has it's pretty popular in Palm Beach County. And so the more people that are aware of mental health, and the program teaches you to look for the signs and what to do if you see someone who has problems with mental health. And the real purpose of it is to destigmatize the mental health um, problem because it is a, a real pro health concern and people, it's so stigmatized that people don't talk about it enough. And Florida, unfortunately, ranks 48th or 49th in mental health funding per person. We, we put some money from Parkland into the schools for more mental health counseling, but not enough. And that's, it's something that money would definitely help. We need more counselors. We need more awareness of it. And it's something I'm going to continue to advocate for, but it's been a real uphill battle in the Florida legislature, unfortunately. I'm glad you're advocating and fighting for that because it's something just me being a, a, a bit younger, it's something that I always noticed. E even in high school, I always felt, okay, this person probably needs help. When you're young, it's, it's what do you know? They actually, 
They have a mental health first aid for, for children also that you can do that focuses on children. And they, and the teach, I think all the teachers in Palm Beach County, a lot of them have been through that program. So to recognize the signs of when somebody needs help. More of that. I want to know what advice would you give someone who's trying to decide what political party to run as? Uh, and I say this because we have a friend who wants to run, but she doesn't know. She's clear on her views, but she doesn't know which party to really run for. We just uh, don't think she should be in the party that she's, choo- she's chosen. Oh, okay, got it. Interestingly, in Palm Beach County, we're a pretty democratic county. If you want to run for an office in Palm Beach County and be successful, you pretty much have to be a Democrat. Our supervisor of elections, who just got elected, was originally a Republican, and she switched her membership just because she knew that in order to be elected on a countywide basis in this county, you need to have a Democrat behind your name. But that being aside, I'm a Democrat, not so that I can be elected, but I'm a Democrat because of the values that I support and that the party supports. I'm a firm believer in separation of church and state and we're in women's reproductive rights. I'm a strong believer in having a clean environment and recognizing and addressing climate change, something that the Republicans wouldn't even talk about during eight years while I was in the Florida legislature. I believe that everybody should be entitled to health care. And I think we should have expanded Medicaid here in the state. And in Florida, we have about 800,000 people who have no health insurance because we have not been willing to expand Medicaid. And then I believe every child is entitled to a public, top-rate public education so that they can succeed. And I've seen the Republican Party has become the party of vouchers and charter schools, and they're trying to hurt our public schools and not help our public schools. So those are the reasons why I'm a Democrat, because of the real policy issues that I find are much more, are the issues that are in my heart and that I believe in. My pop culture question is, what is your favorite song of all time and why? And what does that song remind you of? Uh, mine would definitely be Sweet Baby James by James Taylor. And it reminds me of when I went to summer camp in North Carolina. And I was just in North Carolina last week and we drove by the camp and all the memories flooded back. It's a really nice memory. And, and I love James Taylor. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. Okay, my question is, what is your favorite movie of all time? Ooh, that's a really hard question. I think I like Back to the Future. It's just such a fun movie. And I don't, I, I've seen it a lot of times. I would say that's probably my favorite movie of all time. That's a hard question, though. I like, we're in a movie club right now, my husband and I, and we watch movies like we could, once a month. And so I've gotten much more sophisticated in my movie watching now. We talk about the directors and the cinematography and, uh, and all those things. But I just thought Back to the Future was just a lot of fun and very clever and very different movie than anything else I've ever seen. I love that because I just feel like that makes you the coolest. I, I would love ever. to be in a movie club. How do I join a movie club? That sounds fun. <laughs> Just with your friend, we just put it together, and then we actually got somebody who's a movie critic, and he comes and facilitates. So he brings he brings the level of discussion up much higher than if we just sat around and talked about the movie. And we don't we go you see the movie on your own, and then we get together afterwards and talk about the movie. Awesome. All right, Selena, take us home with the lightning round. Okay, these are going to be very quick. This or that questions, very easy. So, pizza or burgers. Pizza. 
Okay. Ocean or mountain? Ooh, I love both. <laughs> we have, I love to be on, I have, I'm on the beach and we also have a place in Colorado. So I love both, but I don't, I guess ocean would be number one, but I love the mountains too. You're in the sunshine state. Yeah. So ocean is number one, but I do like the mountains too. Okay. Movies or television series? Before COVID, I would have said movies, but because of COVID, I have watched so many TV series and I love <laughs> them. I, I'm just, we just finished away the new Netflix series. And before that I saw Yellowstone. And so I really like the series because they keep, it's not just a one shot deal. You get involved with the characters and you really get to see some character development. So now I would switch to TV series. If the keeps on giving. Right. Coffee or tea? Neither. I don't drink any hot drinks. No hot drinks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And lastly, Batman or Superman? Ooh, probably Superman. Yeah, probably Superman. And I'm not even sure why I like them both. <laughs> I grew up with both Batman and Superman, but probably Superman. Clark You're Kent. Our first was- Superman. Clark- you are our first Superman. So that's, really? that's yeah. Everybody wow. likes Batman. Senator Berman, thank you so much. If you thank- could let all of our listeners know uh, how to find you. Certainly. As I said before, my office phone number is 561-262-2094. I think I just had a senior moment there. I hope I said it right. <laughs> might need to check that. And the best way to reach me, if you need to email me, you can email Berman, B-E-R-M-A-N dot Laurie, L-O-R-I dot W-E-B at F-L Senate, S-E-N-A-T-E dot gov. And I think the phone number is 292-6014. Yeah, I don't know if I said that before, but it is 292-6014. And that's area code 561. So anybody is welcome to call my office. We're happy to help you with any issue having to do with the state. You're not sure if it's state or federal. We're happy to address that also and and send you in the right direction. And if it's county, we'll send you in that direction also. Okay, excellent. um, And and remind our voters that you do have an election on the ballot. Yes. Yes, vote early. <laughs> but vote if you can, make sure you put in for your mail ballot. Get your mail ballot personally. Put a plan together personally. My plan is to get my mail ballot, which is only the second time I've ever done it because I used to like to go, but now with COVID, I'm not going. And then I'm going to actually drop it off at one of the drop sites to make Excellent sure advice. that I know that it gets there. So that's my plan. Um, make sure, put your plan together and, and make sure that you vote. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator Berman. And Good luck in November, and you're truly a, a great representative of us. And hopefully, if all works out well, my myself and my contingent will come visit you up in Tallahassee. During I the hope so. Hours. I hope everybody. I hope we're able to be up there in person and have people come visit us. So we will see. It's a great unknown this year. But thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun, and keep up the good work, Steve. Thank you for listening to this episode of Attorneys Are Human Too. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast host. Please also leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you next time.